session with Dr. Farid Holaku. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwe, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram, or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show, or suggest topics or books for the program, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number 310-441-0555. I'll announce the book of the week, again, that I mentioned Monday, How to Be Yourself by Ellen Hendrickson. How to Be Yourself, Quiet Your Inner Critic, and rise above social anxiety. And uh, really enjoying it so far, about 40 pages in. Um, as the subtitle suggests, it's about social anxiety. But you'll probably see that uh, what we might think of social anxiety, of course, it might be a diagnosable mental illness, which it is. But all of us have it to some degree or might deal with it in different situations. Actually, uh, there was a part early in the book where she talked about that, how almost everyone has felt Uh, awkward or uncomfortable or nervous in a social situation. So in that way, it's very common. But of course, some people deal with it much more severely and it can interfere significantly with their life. And so um, it's a very good book so far. And she talks about uh, how there will be exercises and tools later on in the book. So I'm looking forward to to, um, reading that and then sharing it with you next week. And I will talk about this a bit, but I also wanted to make a comment on Monday night's show. I talked uh, for a segment about the death of Kobe Bryant, which I was very saddened by. Um, I have been a Lakers fan since I was maybe five years old and watched him play for his whole career as a Lakers fan and um, was really shocked and saddened by his death. And so I I talked a segment about him and then the last segment about grief. Um, And even I mentioned it. Uh, Monday, but I'll mention it again today because of what happened when I posted a picture Monday night. Um, that, of course, uh, it was a tragedy, death of Kobe Bryant and his daughter and the seven others, so nine total who lost their lives that day. But I understand that there's also many tragedies going on around the world. And so when I post, I mentioned that Monday, um, but when I posted the picture, I got some comments from people saying, uh, this is you know, not that important or things have happened in Iran that might be more important than this. How could you talk about this and why aren't you heartbroken about that? And so um, these things are obviously complicated, but I have some reasons for posting things I do and not posting some things. And also, if you go to my Instagram page, maybe I need to be more active. I've heard that from many people before and it's something I think about at times, but I don't post a lot of things that are on my mind on there. Um, but I understand that people might think that certain things should be the priority and certain other things shouldn't. But at the same time, people are dealing with their own personal things in a personal way. There's um, a fire just happened in the Barrington Plaza building here in Los Angeles, a couple of miles away from uh, the studio. 
I think, I don't know if anyone's actually injured. I didn't look at the reports. I hope no one is, but it was pretty scary. And I have two friends that live in that building. So to me, that fire became a big deal to make sure they were okay. And they were, but I know there's much bigger things going on in the world, but because two of my friends um, that I actually saw last night were there, I was worried about them. And so it was personal to me. And so if I mention it or I talk about it, it's not because it's the most important thing in the world, but it was important to my world. And I share that. So um, I, I do hope for the best for everyone. I know there's things going on. And one of the things I talked about Monday night uh, was about being motivated by Kobe to work harder. That was one of the things that I really loved and respected about him was that he was known for his hard work, dedication, never giving up, making sure no one worked harder than him. And as I mentioned it Monday, and I'm thinking about it again, that we all have to work hard whatever it is that we do, what we can do, the things that are going on in the world that we don't feel good about, do everything we can um, in whatever ways we can to make things better and to be motivated and inspired by that. Uh, and it's still on my mind. Uh, on the way here, I was thinking about some things and got tears in my eyes because, again, you feel like you have a personal relationship with someone when you've watched them for 20 years since you yourself were a child. And so that's how I felt and continue to feel and uh, every day I'm talking with so many different friends who are saddened by it and dealing with it in different ways. So anyway, I uh, just wanted to mention that. Um, but what I also wanted to talk about related to the book of the week, How to Be Yourself, Quiet Your Inner Critic, and Rise Above Social Anxiety by Ellen Hendrickson, was she talks about in the book something very important when it comes to the treatment of anxiety, which is that a lot of times when people when we think of anxiety, when we think of different issues, we think, well, I want to just deal with it, get over it, and then go live life. So I have social anxiety. I have to, you know, go. She even, I think at one point talks about going in a cocoon. I'm going to go in this cocoon, even go to therapy, and just through that, eliminate, erase my social anxiety, and then I'm going to do everything I want to do. But as she mentions in the book, and I want to talk about today, that if you want to overcome something, the only way out is through. The only way you can get over something like an anxiety is to realize the thing that you're so afraid of is not that scary, that it's not going to kill you. Because in a way, that's what anxiety can make you feel is you have this huge rush that almost makes you feel like you have to avoid whatever it is that's making you anxious at any cost. So if it's social anxiety, let's say you're about to go to a party and you maybe want to introduce yourself, but then you get this flash of uh, panic in your head and your body, you sweat, you get nervous and you think, I have to get away from this. And unfortunately, the way that anxiety in a way works or in the way that um, it makes itself work is that it causes us to avoid things, which gives us relief. And that relief is a very dangerous thing because although it feels good, it's just reinforcing us staying in that comfort zone and avoiding our own growth. So you're feeling nervous to talk to someone, you think about doing it, you have a whole rush of anxiety, and then you decide to not do anything, you go away, you leave the party, or you just don't talk to anyone, ah, you feel this relief. And that re relief reinforces and gives more strength to this fear that you have and makes you feel even more that avoiding it feels so good. If you can just avoid it, it feels amazing. And that's why usually things like uh, anxiety issues and disorders get worse over time because this avoidance pattern 
becomes reinforced. And it's really interesting because if you go to get treatment for anxiety, you probably think, okay, I'm going to a doctor um, who's going to make me feel better. The therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist, they're going to just fe- allow me to get some of more of that relief we might even think. Uh, make me feel better. But actually what you'll do is if you go to get treatment for anxiety, you're actually going to have to feel in a way worse before you can feel better. Um, One of my favorite psychologists in general, but especially when it comes to the treatment of anxiety, is Dr. Tabasum Vahidi, who practices here in Los Angeles. And she put a post, uh, I think it was yesterday or a couple days ago, which I thought was really good. And it says the treatment of anxiety is paradoxical. We have to induce it to reduce it. We have to induce it to reduce it. So rather than avoiding and saying, oh, you don't like how that feels, we're going to make it so you don't have to feel that anymore. Actually, it's almost the opposite. You have to feel it so strongly and face it head on and realize that it's actually not that scary. You can handle it. And so with the therapist, you'll get tools, you'll work through different ways of dealing with it. But essentially, you'll have to go through the process of facing that thing that's so scary. And that's why people avoid going to therapy enough uh, already just because of the stigmas and taboos and other myths and misconceptions they might have. But when it comes to anxiety issues, it can feel even more terrifying. Because if I tell you, you know that thing that scares you the most? Well, I'm going to make you face it. You might recognize it could be good, but almost everything in your mind and body is going to tell you to go the other way. It could feel like stepping off a cliff into your death, into something that's going to be scary. And it's much easier to say, you know what? Uh, It's not a big deal. I can live with it. I can deal with it. I don't need to do anything about it. I've lived with it 10 years. I can live with it the rest of my life. And that's what most people choose to do when it comes to everything in our lives, but especially with anxiety issues. In the next segment, I'm going to talk about how this relates to change uh, and why it's so hard for us to change. But coming back to anxiety, recognizing this power that it has is very difficult. And here we have another example when it comes to the relief that I was talking about, where it can be very difficult to determine that what we're feeling, is it good or is it bad? Because relief sounds like a good thing. And in some instances, it's really good. Have you ever had like a rock in your shoe and you're walking and every step kind of hurts? And then finally you stop and you take the shoe off and you take the rock out and you put it back and you start walking. It's like, ah, that's nice relief. That's a good relief. That rock was just hurting you. Or uh, you're somewhere and there's a really loud noise, some kind of siren or an alarm is going off. And it's just so pounding and hurting your ears and it keeps going and keeps going. And then finally it stops and it's like, ah, what a nice feeling that that blaring sound is gone. That thing that was hurting my ears, giving me this pain is gone. And so that kind of relief is good when it it's something that's an unnecessary nuisance, something that is just causing us some kind of pain that isn't a pain towards growth. I've talked about that recently, about the differences between pain that's damage and pain that's growth. It makes sense that we want to get rid of it. But here, unfortunately, the relief is giving us the wrong message. It gives us this feeling of goodness, of safety, of this is something good. You should go towards this relief. Go away from the thing that is bothering you and go towards the thing that is giving you relief. But it's actually paradoxically hurting you. It is pushing you away from growing and from what's good for you because it's going into your comfort zone. And if we think about our psychology in a way, 
is trying to protect us. It's trying to take care of us the way our mind has to work. It's supposed to protect us, but unfortunately that protection can go too far. Like an overprotective parent who might get in the way of their child's growth because they're afraid and because of that fear, they don't let their child do certain things that might actually allow them to grow and progress and develop into becoming who they are. We do that to ourselves. We feel a little bit scared and nervous, and then we do the thing that makes us feel comfortable. We say, oh, you know what? This is better. This feels good. And so to overcome anything like this, we have to recognize that that relief in a way is our enemy. Just like our comfort zone is something that's holding us back and hurting us, that relief is a big part of that comfort zone. And it feels good, but we have to be able to have these conversations with ourselves to try to look a little deeper. As I always say, it's very important first to be in touch with our feelings. Absolutely. That's something that most people don't do and is a big first step when it comes to mental health. But we can't just stop at the what. You have to dig a little bit deeper to the why. Because if you do the what, you'll say, oh, I feel so good. I was feeling nervous about giving that presentation, but I called them and pretended like I was sick. And now I'm just going to sit at home, watch TV, and I don't have to worry about it. Even as I say it, it can feel kind of good to me thinking about that feeling. That anxiety is gone. But we have to then think about what am I feeling right now? Yeah, it does feel really good. It feels uh, that anxiety is gone. My heart rate maybe is coming back. I'm not feeling sweaty or nervous or lightheaded. That feels really good. But why is it feeling good? Oh, it feels good because I have this big issue with social anxiety or um, presenting in front of people, public speaking, and I'm feeling good because I'm holding back. I'm staying in my comfort zone. And if I don't want that, I have to recognize that this good feeling is not actually a good feeling. That's interesting. I've talked a lot about how bad feelings um, are not so bad or we shouldn't look at them so negatively. They might not feel good in the moment that we should actually recognize that there's a lot of good in them. And sometimes the flip of that is that sometimes our good feelings, the ones that feel pleasant, are actually hurting us, are not good for us. So the relief that keeps us in our comfort zone and that doesn't uh, allow us to grow and push ourselves and overcome things is actually more our enemy than something good. And so that good feeling is actually really something that's a disguise of something that's hurting us. Now I'll stop there on this topic. So just about the idea of anxiety and how if you want to overcome it you have to face it. and as i mentioned even if you want to get treatment as paradoxical as it might seem as dr tabasom vahidi says we have to induce it to reduce it that's the only way you can treat it but in the next segment i'll talk a bit more about change in general of other kinds and how it can be so hard for us to create change in our lives but how important it is so um we'll be right back 3104410555. If you want to call in, you can still call in about any topic, um, but I'll continue talking about the difficulties of change and how we can try to combat that. Welcome back. So, in the first segment, I focused more on anxiety and how it has this paradoxical effect on us where the relief it gives us uh, feels good, but it's actually very hurtful to us. A good feeling that gives us the wrong message. Because usually when we think a good feeling, we think that's something good, that's something we should go towards, try to create again if we can, but it's something that actually hurts us and hinders us. And I also mentioned how from a psychological perspective where we think of how our brains work, it can make some sense that um, this happens. Our brains are trying to protect ourselves. Even when you think about our pain, 
Um, pain, of course, is a healthy and good thing. We need to know that something might be hurting, damaging us. We might need some kind of treatment or to deal with that situation. Um, but also pain could be misleading. And if you talk to athletes like people do, that do super marathons, uh, that's sometimes I think more than 100 miles, even more than that, that they'll run at a time. Um, they'll talk about how they feel this pain and almost in a way it feels like they're about to die. The pain is so much that their body is telling them you just can't go on anymore. You can't. You have to stop now. Um, but they know also from experience, but also from dealing with other people that have dealt with this type of pain, that that's just their body's way of trying to stop them from doing more because they don't want to, of course, our body's trying to preserve us, doesn't want us to die. So it can't say this in a way that signal wouldn't make sense to be said right when it's about to happen. It would make sense that you'd say, hey, like, you know, 30% before you have nothing left, I'm going to tell you, you have to stop. It's kind of like your car. Your car doesn't just say, oh, you're out of gas, right? When it's out of gas. It tells you from a little while before that, you know, you're going to need gas. The light comes on. That light is supposed to signal to you something, kind of give you a stress of you need to do something about this. Um, of course, you might, if you've watched Seinfeld, there was an episode where Kramer would drive. I don't know how long he went saying that it says you have low gas, but they kept going and going, kind of making fun of this idea that when it says you have low gas, really, you still have a lot left or it says you have zero miles left. But um, you can keep going for a while. So in a way, we know that our body does a, a similar thing, even to a more extreme degree, where it's trying to preserve us. So sometimes the feelings we get, we have to recognize and override them or realize, okay, it's saying this, but I can keep going. And so to overcome anxiety, we have to do a lot of this type of mental and emotional gymnastics that you're going to feel things that are tell you this is the right thing. This is, is what good for you. This is what's going to make you feel good. And you have to say, no, I hear it. I can understand it, but I recognize that that's actually hurting me. That's actually holding me back. I'm going to do something different. Now, of course, this is a type of change. And so I want to talk in this segment more specifically about making changes and making changes is very hard. It's the funny thing is it's always easier said than done. And it's always something that on the surface seems easy. And it's always something that when you're talking to someone else seems very easy. Someone says they have a drinking problem. Like, oh, just stop drinking. Oh, you have a hard time exercising. Oh, just go in the morning and do this. You have a hard time doing this. Whatever it is, it's very easy to tell someone else how easy it is. Um, first of all, because we don't have to do it. Second of all, what is a problem for someone else might not be a problem for you. So you might already go to the gym every morning. And if someone says, I'm having a hard time exercising, you're, come on, I go to the gym every morning. It's not a big deal. Um, whereas for them, there may be something that you have a hard time with that for them is very easy. And so that also, before I get into that, is something to keep in mind uh, when we're looking at other people's lives and when we're judging other people as we are so often doing to try to take a step back and recognize that someone else's problem for you might be very easy, but your problem for many other people will be very easy. And that's not the way to look at it is that you're going through your own individual struggle or your life and you're dealing with the things you're dealing with. You might find inspiration in other people. You say, oh, that person had the same problem as me. What did they do? Not in a way of comparing them as being better than you, but looking at what they did that maybe you can learn from to apply that to your own life. But I see this happen often. People say, oh, I would never do that. Or 
Uh, that's so easy. Why is that person struggling with this issue? But we have to always remember that we don't know what it's like to be in someone else's shoes. Even if it's about the same problem, we don't know what it's like to be in someone else's shoes. But especially when people say, oh, if I was in that situation, I would have never done that. Something they've never been in themselves. And we assume we know what we wish we would do or we think we would do in a situation, but we don't really know. So having some of that humility to me is very important to recognize that it's very easy and we can be quick to judge others for whatever it is they're going through, but to recognize that everyone's struggle is different and unique and it might seem simple to you, but just like something you're dealing with, something they're dealing with might seem simple to you, something you're dealing with might be simple for them or for other people. And we want to keep that in mind. Uh, and also the solutions usually on the surface are very easy. Oh, you smoke too many cigarettes? Stop smoking. Done. We're done with that one. Let's go to the next one. Oh, you drink, you have a drinking problem? Stop drinking. Easy. Next one. You want to lose some weight? Yeah, just eat less, work out. Easy. Next one. All these things seem very easy. And in a way they are in the sense that the things you need to do usually are in a way simple, but doing them, making it happen is much harder than that. And people are dealing with different things that might make it more challenging for them. There's emotional issues, things from their childhood that might be related to it, all sorts of things that complicates the issue, that it's not just about that simple thing of, oh yeah, just stop doing whatever it is. And so we do that a lot when we give people advice, oh, it's just stop, like, what are, you, what are you doing? Like, you have to just stop that. It's, but it's not that easy and usually doesn't help people much when we undermine their problems or make it seem so simple because it is harder um, than what appears on the surface. So that's something important to keep in mind. Now, I just said all these, in a way, what seems like excuses, well, things from your childhood, issues you're dealing with, why it's harder for you than someone else, resources, whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, we are responsible for our own lives and we are responsible to make the best we can with whatever the circumstances are. Okay, so in our childhood, this happened. It has effects. We want to look at it, work on it, be aware of how we can deal with it. But then we still are now responsible for what we do. Uh, we're not responsible for what happened to us when we were a kid and how our parents treated us, what happened to us in the world, whatever was outside of our control. But we are now responsible for what we do with our lives going forward. What we do is is up to us and we have to take control of that. And so, yes, it's hard. I'm not saying uh, to basically do what I was just saying before to say it's easy, but recognizing it's our responsibility that if we just think about how hard it was or how we've been affected by the past, we will never move forward. And sometimes we prefer that. And this relates to what I'm talking about in general. Sometimes we prefer that because it allows us to stay in the comfort zone. So if I say it's not uh, up to me, I, I've been dealt a bad hand, that just lets me off the hook and lets me stay in my comfort zone. Now, a word about the comfort zone, because itself is a misleading term. Because when we hear comfort zone, if I tell you about a comfortable chair, you think, oh, that feels so good. You like it. It's good for you. It's good for your back and your body. You enjoy how it feels. But when we talk about comfort zone, very often people are miserable in their comfort zones. People might stay in an abusive relationship that might be their comfort zone. And it doesn't mean they're enjoying it. They're suffering. They're scared. They're hurting. They're feeling bad. But somehow they've gotten used to it or feel like they can't break out of it. So there's something comfortable about that. And so always with the comfort zone, what we're dealing with is that someone is picking a life or lifestyle or some particular issue in their life, whatever it is. They're picking something that is easier and comfortable and they're used to it rather than 
facing an unknown, facing putting themselves out there, facing seeing what happens if they try something different. And in this way, actually, there's a lot of anxiety there because with any change comes anxiety. It comes this, we don't know what's going to happen. And so the way I simplified, and this is very much an oversimplification, is at times people almost choose depression over anxiety in a way. They choose being sad. Well, at least I know what this sadness is, especially a sadness they know. I know what it's like to feel lonely. So I can choose that over the anxiety of putting themselves out there into the unknown. I'm going to actually try to meet people and see what happens. I'm going to go to parties and meet people. I'm going to try to date and see what happens because that's scary. There's so much unknown and in their mind, things, bad things can happen and it seems terrifying. So I'd rather choose this sadness. And like I said, in simplified words, this depression of just being lonely than the anxiety of putting myself out there. And so our comfort zones are actually in a way, a place of sadness, a place of being depressed. And the, the uns that I talk about usually with the comfort zone is you feel unsatisfied, unfulfilled, um, and unhappy with your life, unhappy and satisfied and unfulfilled. I almost forgot them myself. So you just feel this emptiness. Life doesn't feel good, but it feels comfortable. And again, going back to our, you know, evolutionary kind of survival type of mindset, at least we're, we're, we're surviving, you're going, you're not dying. And so that can feel okay. And to your, your brain and this part of your survival type of mindset, it's like, well, at least we're making it. There's no, that's okay. Even if we're not happy, we're making it, but we're not living a life we want. We're not living a life we feel good about. And so we have to recognize and understand that the only way we can actually live a better life is we have to feel uncomfortable. There is no growth without some pain and without some discomfort. It just can't happen. Even if you are thinking about your posture, and I've gone through this before, you're like, oh, you know, I'm not really walking well, and we realize it's having effects on your back and your neck and a bunch of parts of your body, so it's hurting you. So again, this is a perfect example of that comfort zone isn't good for you. It's hurting you. You have pain. But then if you try to change your posture, it's really hard. You have to be very mindful of it. You have to keep thinking of it. And always when you lose that mindfulness, you're going to slip back into your comfort zone of doing it the way you usually do. And you catch yourself, oh, I'm slouching again. And let me remind myself to, to put my shoulders back and stand up a different way. It takes a lot of effort. So even though you know it's going to be better for you, it takes some effort and makes you a little uncomfortable. And we, it's a hard time to do that. And usually with bigger things, it's not just about the physical discomfort. It's the mental, emotional discomfort that comes with it as well. So we have to take this with us. It's going to be difficult. That pain I'm feeling, that discomfort I'm feeling, the way it's going to be signaled to me is that this is something bad. This is something wrong. This is something scary. Go back to where you were. And kind of in a way of thinking of go back to where you were, it's like you have this safe harbor where the water is calm, nothing is happening. And now you're trying to go out into the ocean. And it's, it's scary because you're like, there's waves. I don't know what's going to happen. Can I handle it? Is something good going to be out here? Do I even know something better is going to happen when I do this? There really isn't a guarantee. And so everything in your brain and body is going to tell you to just turn back and go to the safe harbor. It's really, you know what it, you know what's there. Yeah, it's kind of boring. Yeah, you don't really have everything you want, but you're okay. You can make it. And so you have to overcome that. And so part of what can help us overcome that is thinking of what is on the other side when you overcome that ocean, when you overcome those waves, what's waiting for you. And so 
when we set goals and we try to create change, we know what can help us is thinking about the goal, thinking about how good it's going to feel to get there. Why are we doing it? Why is it so important to us to get to some destination or to make some progress? A lot of times goals aren't where when we try to make changes, it's not just about some concrete goal, but about being better, doing better, being healthier in some way or living a better life. It's not always a concrete goal. But what about that is so exciting? Because we know it's going to be hard. Making changes is very hard. Uh, as a psychologist, one of the things you're doing is, of course, first helping people get in touch with their feelings and deal with a lot of those things. But also, when you're trying to help them grow, you know that it's going to be difficult for them to change. And very often what brings people into therapy is something about their life, either a behavior, a habit, a type of relationship or whatever it might be, but something they want to change about themselves and about their lives. So you get to see firsthand how difficult change is, how often we take a few steps forward and a few steps back. You might even go forward for a long time, but as soon as you hit some um, obstacle or you really get hurt, usually you go back. When people are stressed, that's usually when their old bad habits come back. You haven't smoked a cigarette for five years. All of a sudden, some really stressful stuff happens. The first thing that comes to your mind is pull out a cigarette to try to calm yourself down or bite your nails if that's what you did. People revert back to those things when they feel overwhelmed or stressed and they get hit some hardships. And so we have to be ready for that. The change is going to be very hard. We can be compassionate with ourselves while at the same time challenging ourselves. I understand change is hard. I know this path won't be simple. I can love myself in this path, but also I'm not going to just give up on myself either. I'm going to keep pushing myself. I'm going to keep challenging myself to see what I can do, to see how I can create some changes in my life and see how I can actually get there and realize that everything in your brain and body is usually going to push you in the other way. There's always going to be a pull back to the comfort zone. But remember that comfort zone is actually your enemy. It's not something you want. It's not giving you the life you want. And the only way to recognize uh, or to realize that is to see how it's hurting you, realize you're going to face that pain, but go forward anyway. The only way out is through. And, um, you know, ending it on that note about working hard, I am again reminded of Kobe. And even for me, these last two days, I did go to the gym thinking about him and Okay, if I want to make progress for myself, if I want to be healthier, I have to work hard and have that Mamba mentality of working hard for myself to get a different type of result. So change is going to be hard, but we know it's worth it. All right, let's go to another commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Let's Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, Dr. Farid. It's so good to hear your voice. No, thank you. Nice to hear your voice. Thanks for calling. Thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit by myself. Okay. Um, I'm 52 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been divorced twice, and last time was in 2009. And I have two grown kids, 21 and 24-year-olds, so I'm an empty nester. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so... I don't, I don't know why relationships um, are so difficult for me, or dating, actually. Mm -hmm. um, the last one that I had was with a person that I broke up like three times with and was a complete narcissist and very um, emotionally, I was on a roller coaster. And I find that every time I would get tired of the games after a few months of going through it, 
would break up with him. After a few years, he would come back, and I would go through that. I would almost completely kind of selectively forget about what happened, and I would be just, you know, yeah. would get caught into this whole romantic side of him, and then, you know, after a while of going up and down, then I would get tired and I would break up. And that's what I did a few months ago. But you said this was, he would be away for a few years and then come back? Yes. Okay, so this, I mean, so this person has been in your life for a long, long time then. Long time, yeah. Now, I want to go back to one of the first things you said about relationships are difficult for you. Um, and the truth is relationships are difficult for everyone. They are a challenging part of life. Now, we do want to look at if it's more difficult for us or if we're, or even in this difficult process, what's happening in our own life that we are, the patterns that we see, how are we making it more difficult or what are the problems we're choosing and how can we make it not easy, but easier. And usually we'll find that there's some patterns in what we're doing that's creating or contributing to making it even harder. So something that's already difficult, we're making it even more challenging. And so the way you talked about your relationship with him, um, he when you, you say narcissist using your words and emotional roller coaster, of course, that sounds really bad, but we have to look at what were you doing in this. And a lot of times when people say stories about these types of on-off relationships, it is interesting how the breakup is very, and I broke up with him, but then usually it's like, and then he kind of came back and it's out of our control and it starts again. That's usually how people will talk about these types of uh, on-off relationships is that it was almost out of their control when of course it wasn't, but it also, it speaks to something where we didn't want to see what was happening. Maybe we wanted to go back into something. Maybe we didn't want to believe that he was as bad as we thought he was, or we want to make him good again. Lots of things could be going on. But anyway, so you've had this yeah, on-off with him. Yes. The pattern that I have seen in, in every time he would come back, when I was at my lowest point and most vulnerable point, mm -hmm. either was um, I didn't have my job or I was taking care of my elderly mom. I was emotionally so drained. Yeah. So when he would come back, he would feed with all those emotions. Then I would feel so good again. But then yeah. again, he would take it away, and then it would be the pain, and then give it, take it back, and all these things, and then finally I would break up. Yeah, and so it's, you know, he, you recognize now that pattern of he would come in your vulnerable and more desperate yeah. moments. And it's interesting because we're talking, you know, you mentioned the romance and that those good things, but really when we recognize the words we're using, it's kind of like a hunter and their prey, waiting, exactly. waiting till you're weaker to come in and then try to get you in a way. And then... Um, once you were strong enough, you were able to push him away. But then that's something for you to also look at. Of course, life is challenging and things happen. So it's not that we always should be strong, but there maybe are other emptinesses in your life. Maybe you don't feel that there's enough connection in your life in general. So especially when life gets tough, you really yeah. are looking for someone, anyone just to give you a good feeling. And he seems like he was in a way a good salesman of you know, the over-the-top romanticism that you'd come back with and you really wanted to buy that story. And so I think that's what even the way you say the, the, the story of the back and forth, you didn't want to see the truth, which is you knew that, yes, this looks like, you know, beautiful honey, but I know it's poison. So if I eat it, I'm going to get sick. You want to forget about that part, at least enjoy it while you can. Uh, because you feel so bad. So pretend like you don't know the other side of the story because, right. uh, you know, you probably knew how it was going to end, but you didn't want to think about that in that moment when you felt so down. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 
So um, that has become one of the red flags in my book when mm-hmm. somebody comes on too strong at the beginning. Yeah. So um, I recently met a guy online and um, from different culture and two years younger and um, very successful businessman. So that part of it always, you know, excites me when a man is successful. But, you know, it's you have to be so careful. I'm not Success, obviously, is not a bad thing, and it makes sense to find that attractive. Um, but sometimes with those words like success and narcissism are can be tied in together. And so since you're saying you're yeah. attracted to this man who was a narcissist, you that's one of your red flags has to be, okay, let me look for, let me be aware of this, that something that is attractive to me can actually be very hurtful. And that's one of those things that for both men and women, but especially for women, can be very attractive. A man who's confident, who maybe has become successful, and um, narcissists in the beginning can be very charming because, one, they see it as trying to get you. They want to show you how great they are. And what you'll notice about the gifts that a narcissist will give is that it's more about them and how great of a gift they're getting rather than you enjoying it and it being for you. So it's like, did you see how the bouquet of flowers I give you was the biggest they sell in the flower shop? And it's more about that and how grandiose and great the gift was rather than I wanted you to enjoy these flowers because I know this is your favorite flower. You know, it's a different feel. It's about them. So they can be very charming at the beginning with over the top gifts and romantic gestures. But if you look a little deeper, you see it's more about them and feeding their grandiose sense of self rather than showing you genuine kindness. And as you mentioned, coming on strong too soon, sometimes that'll be part of that process because it's not about genuinely, I feel like it's the right time to get you this gift. It's about it feels good to me to, to have, and, you know, be that guy. And, you know, the, the funny thing is that um, it was mostly in words. It was not like if we were to meet somewhere because he was um, like a few hours away, mm-hmm. he would make sure that we meet halfway. It was not like, it was mostly um, in words that he would be romancing, not in action. This is your ex. This is the one. Nothing else. This is the previous guy, not not the current guy. This is the one from before? The one before. Okay, got it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's, and and usually over time, the the narcissist, their selfishness will start to show. So um, they they won't be making that effort and expecting you you to make it. But let's talk about this guy. And I don't want to assume just you said um, he's successful, that he has to be. Yeah. For the uh, like um, three times already, and um, one thing, the first thing that I I noticed about him, which was not the same as the other guy, was that he he you know the first date he said okay wherever is convenient we live one hour away from each other so he made the trip all the way to meet me mm-hmm. and that to me was a good sign. Sure. And then um, so we hit it off. We have like three hour date. And um, then, you know, before he gets home, he texts me, oh, I really enjoyed meeting you, and I hope to see you again. So that was very, very nice and different from the other guy. And um, then uh, he starts to really text me lovingly, oh, you know, call me sweetheart. After one date? Sorry? Was that after just one date? After one day. Okay. That, and there's a little, you know, it's red flaggy. It has a little bit of a, you know, it might be too fast. And that's something where you want to listen to what you feel. A lot of times people recognize and say, you know what? Obviously that word sweetheart looks nice when I see it in a text, but it did feel too soon. And you want to pay attention to those feelings of boundaries that aren't really being 
respected or is it a genuine type of feeling if someone is already using some types of words but you know again it doesn't mean it has to be a red flag because some people maybe just use those words more but anyway you, but it seems like you but noticed even, that but i even brought it up to him i said don't you think this is a little bit too soon you know to and said no i'm just saying expressing how i feel you know you can express what you feel but i like to express can i really express how I feel. I feel very emotional even on our first meeting and so forth. I said, okay. Mm-hmm. So that goes on and he constantly, you know, text, he texts me, I miss you, I want to hug you, kiss you. You know, when he gets to this point, I, I kind of like get concerned and say, wait a second, is he looking for some, you know, to just jump in bed with me? Mm-hmm. So I, I know, I take a note on that for myself and I say, okay, next time we meet, I'm going to mention that I don't have sex before marriage. Um, Now, and you can mention that, I mean, you know, when you say you'll take note of it, you don't have to necessarily mention that. You can see if what he's showing you. So you can bring it up if you feel like you want to be more direct about it. But, um, you know, he'll show you what he is looking for. But okay, so you just felt like he was trying to sexualize the the conversation. Yeah, so the next time I was having a business convention somewhere, like an hour or two away, I said, I asked him, would you like to, you know, accompany me, you know, in this convention? So he drove all the way to the convention. He spent the day with me at the convention. So I felt, oh, this is so nice. You know, he's being very supportive of me. And he's trying to get to know, you know, what I'm involved in and so forth. And uh, so a friend of mine said, you know, he did such a nice thing. Why don't you make some food? Persian, he's not Persian. So make him some Persian food, take it to his work show that you appreciate him. So I, I, you know, I asked him which day is good, so I drive to his work. It's an hour away. I make Persian for Ms. Fazi, mm-hmm. and um, assuming that everyone loves it. So he opens it up, and he says, Oh, right, nice, nice, thank you. And he, he just puts it away. Hmm. And then we, we go, you know, he says, Let's go, you know, for... Uh, um, walk around the mall and just go to dinner and so forth. And after that date, I started thinking, he didn't even, you know, later on, he didn't, after a few days, I'm thinking, he didn't even mention it. He didn't say, oh, thank you so much for, um, you know, bringing me food, you know. So in my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm and I finally bring it up. I say, um, did you like the food that I brought you? And then he says, well, you know, I'm, my taste is more spicy, so... I ate some jalapeno with it and stuff like that. And he still didn't say, you know, thank you so much for going through the trouble of, mm-hmm. you know, doing that for me. So I don't know whether this is another red flag. Yeah, or, I mean, since it's about Gormasabzi, we can say it's a green flag. But yeah, it does seem like there's um, <laughs> some something there where you recognize there was a lack of appreciation for your kind gesture. I think yeah. it's something to, to be aware of. There is something you're feeling, some things, and it, in, we don't want to jump to a conclusion that he's like someone else or we already know who he is, but there's some of those signs that you're noticing of, you know, maybe he's like, the not the previous one exactly, but some of those, that same flavor of just not really appreciating. And again, it's so early. So these things, you know, he drove an hour for the first date. It is nice, but we don't say, oh, because of that, he has to be a kind, good man with good intentions. It's, I think, of course, what happens in dating is we're trying to make an assessment of a good, bad, serious, not serious, marryable, not marryable, 
But sometimes we try to make it too soon. So like, oh, that means he's a good man. It's like, that was a nice step. But if he had that, you know, he did that because he had some other bad intention, it's not a good step. Someone could bring you flowers to trick you into, you know, suing you later on. So the flowers weren't a nice thing, right? So we want to be aware that we take note of it. Okay, he drove there. I like that. That's one, like, tick. One point of that was nice, but I don't know yet who he is. That step I liked for just that. Not that now that means he's a kind, thoughtful person who's going to put me first and all these things. We don't know that yet, but we just know he did that one nice thing. Okay, good. Oh, he accompanied me, accompanied me to this uh, convention or conference. That was nice. Um, he didn't respond well to when I gave him a gift. That wasn't nice. We want to keep track of that when I got made him food. So you, you pay attention to these things and we have to accumulate them over time. Um, but you guys might be too different the way you're just talking about things. Even that food thing is interesting. doesn't mean you have to be so different, but that he didn't say anything. I, I could see how you didn't like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was looking for some, you know, when somebody gives me the gift, whether I like it or not, I always show appreciation. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and that's, so that's, your your that's, issue might be that in general you might be more comfortable giving than receiving, um, yeah. and so you might seek out relationships where you're giving more than you're getting. But then over time, um, you don't feel good. You start to resent them, and you're choosing people if you have that dynamic where they're usually good to be more selfish, potentially more narcissistic. And so those are obviously qualities that come with other bad things, and so it doesn't go very well. So you have to be aware of that. Um, that even, you know, what you did, you didn't, I mean, it was nice, but you didn't have to cook food and drive all the way to him (laughs) to bring him. You could, uh, you know, you could, I'm not saying it was the wrong thing. I don't want to make you feel bad about it, but you have to pay attention yourself. I know your friend gave you that suggestion. Was it this feeling of, oh, I owe him because he's done some things going out of his way for me? Or was it genuinely, you felt like, oh, it's the good time for me to cook for him and take him food? Because it might be, you know, after two dates or so, it could have been, kind of early to do that maybe, but you might've felt uh, uh, people who tend to give and don't feel comfortable receiving and have some of that people pleasing type of mentality. They don't like the feeling of, oh, I owe someone. So they're trying to make it even. And so maybe you were doing some of that. And so I know you're trying to, you called talking about him and you're trying to figure it out and you're still figuring it out, but you do have to also look at yourself more. And this could be something you could work on for yourself that you deserve to to give, but also to receive. And you shouldn't feel uncomfortable about receiving. You deserve that in a relationship, whether it's romantic or friendship. Yeah, that, that's the thing that um, my friends always tell me. They say that you give too much, mm-hmm. you do too much, too soon. You know, before the person even earns the, you know, that your kindness, just give it away, quick. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's something to, you know, kindness in general is good, but the way you're talking about it, I, I'm sure you are very kind, but when you do it in that way, it's more about being nice. And sometimes I make this distinction between kind and nice. Kind is the genuine kindness as in because I just want to do something, because I think it's right, I don't have expectation. Nice is more about making people like us or uh, doing something that feels comfortable to us because we feel like we have to give more than receive. And so um, if you find yourself doing that, you might actually recognize it's more about niceness than kindness. And it doesn't mean you can't be a kind person, but it means that you might be comfortable making sure people like you and that they don't owe you don't owe them and th- these kinds of things, which actually isn't a good thing and is going to hurt you and your relationships in the long run. All right. Yeah, that, that, that's 
definitely is my tendency to, yeah. you know, it's just, so you, you're suggesting that what I did, because I, in the back of my mind, think, expecting to hear a thank you, that was not, that was, no, was being no well, not actually, time. not necessarily. I know people say that. They say, well, if you did something and you expect a thank you, it means you didn't do it genuinely. And actually, I talked about this on my show a few months ago, that to an extent, if the only reason you did it was for the thank you, if I say, okay, I'm going to do this because I want for my friend or for this person to think I'm so great, that's mm -hmm. for the wrong reason. But if you you know, cook someone a meal or someone comes over to your house and they just walk out the door without saying thank you, you might feel a little bit like it was rude in their response, that you didn't like the response. So I don't want to say that, oh, because you expected him to acknowledge that you cooked him food and drove, I don't know, an hour or whatever it was to give it to him, that you expected him to even acknowledge it. That means you were selfish and did it all for you. No, I don't actually think that's true. There could have been more behind it. I don't think it was just genuine kindness. Maybe you felt like you owed him, all those other things as well. Um, but I think it could be extreme when people say, if you expected anything, that means it was purely for you and was not at all kind. Of course, right. we have some expectation, you know, when we're saying bye to someone that they say bye, or when we're dropping them off, they say, oh, thank you for a ride. Now, if you are, you know, want to end the friendship because they didn't say it or it affects you in some huge way, that's something. But if you realize I just drove, you know, extra 45 minutes to drop you off and you didn't acknowledge it, I think it makes sense to have a feeling about that. So, um, there's yeah, of course he was he actually thanked me for driving okay. all the way there in the tax. Mm -hmm. But the funny thing is he didn't mention that you I know, cooked for it. <laughs> and you know the food to us, uh to Persians you know, Horma Sabzi is just like, Oh, that's amazing. But you know, to yeah. someone who's never seen it before, it could look like this green stew and it's you know, flavors <laughs> they've maybe never had and it looks kind of gross or they associate that kind of a green thing with like a healthy not tasty thing. So, you know, we don't want to make him feel like, you know, it's a kind of a funny Persian thing. It's like if he didn't like warm sabza, he must be some evil person. He maybe just didn't, you know, it was weird for him. He maybe appreciated yeah. it, but he didn't know what to say. And imagine if someone brought you a food that looked kind of to you gross, you might be like, I don't want to even touch this, but what do you do now? You know, now, now you still maybe want him to acknowledge that. But again, it's something we're paying attention to. So I'm not saying he has to be this selfish guy who will never appreciate you, but you're noticing that, okay, there was a way in that his appreciation was not what you expected. And appreciation is important in relationships. We have to feel appreciated by our partner. We want to right. feel like they notice and recognize, not that we do it just for those reasons, but we want to feel appreciated. So it's something to be aware of. Is that part of his character, the way he is, or was there something about the food and things that, you know, maybe it was different. But again, for you also, we're thinking about him, which I get, you're trying to understand what's happening between you and him, but you have to look at yourself too and some of these patterns you have and also try to work on those as well. Yeah, I, I am totally, you know, uh, I'm just making notes and one of my friends said, oh, you're just ready to dump the guy because he didn't say thank you. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, that's, and that's what I meant by you don't have to make it if, you know, a deal breaker yet. It's just something you take note of. In my opinion, yeah. I mean, you could, it's up, it's up to you, obviously, if you felt it was too much, but it's something you notice. Okay. Let's see how else he is with, with this, but we don't want to make a judgment completely yet. If you still find interest in him and you kind of can go yeah. forward with that, you know, and there's but other I things you've noticed too. Now I'm, I'm much way over the, the break. We have some other people on hold, so I might have to cut you off there. Um, okay. but you know, just, uh, pay attention to yourself too. As you're getting to know him, you'll get to know yourself even more and you can work on those things about yourself too. But thank you for okay. your call. Thank you so much, Dr. Farid. Nice talking it. to you. Take care. Bye-bye. Right. Thank you. Bye. All right, let's go to another commercial break. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello, Doctor. Hi, thanks for calling. Uh, thanks for getting me. I'm calling from Canada. Okay, thanks. Um, Good day uh, to Canada. I'm 40 years old. Sorry, I'm having Hello? some. Sorry, I'm having some issue with the sound. I don't know how it's coming through. It's not coming through my headphones. Sorry, go ahead. I can hear you now. Can't hear you very well. I, there's can something I with a, yeah, the, your phone. I don't know if it's something with the connection. We're not hearing you very well. It cuts cuts in and out. Yeah, I don't know why. I'm talking with my cell phone and not moving at all. I'm sitting somewhere. Yeah, it's very hard. I can barely make out what you're saying. Unfortunately, it was a little bit better when we, uh, when I just checked uh, before the break. Um, uh, tr- try again. Uh, can you hear me better now? It's okay. Go go ahead. Let's see what we can do. We'll try try to get there. Um, but just go ahead. Let me know what your call is about. I suppose I'm. I want to ask about my relationship with my boyfriend who is Canadian. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's it's really. I think I heard you said something about your boyfriend who's Canadian. I don't know if I. Uh, this is just like yeah, my interpretation now. Canadian. But that that's what I heard. Um, it's really hard to make out what you're saying. Uh, just, uh, just, yeah. Just yeah. If you want to try to call back, we'll probably have to do that then. I call him back. It, no, you, if you want to call back, maybe on a different phone or a different line, because I can't hear, and we'll see if we can what we can do about that, about the the sound. I think it's great now. How is it now? A, a little, a little yeah. bit better. It's a little bit better. Try, you know, if you can try to say whatever it is quick, because we might not get to hear, and I'll, I'll try to give you a response. Go ahead. Yeah, I just, uh, just if we can. Sorry. I'm going to ask about my uh, relationship with my boyfriend. He's Canadian, mm-hmm. and it's about a year and two months that we are together. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, we met by online dating, mm-hmm. and um, there are just uh, some questions I have uh, that I don't know if they are big issues. I have, they are important, or I ha- I can ignore them. Okay, go ahead. What are some of those concerns or issues? Uh, when I met him, uh, he uh, said he's about four years older than me, but very soon I realized he is about 12 years older than me. I'm 40, he's 52. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that he says that... Um, in that online uh, app, when you, I have I have heard it from other people. When you enter your age, then we cannot change it. And he said it was from past, and he couldn't change it. Change from, it and from eight years ago. He's he's saying it stayed the same for eight years. Uh, I didn't ask him, but he said it was for the past. No, I know, but you're saying he told you four years older than you found out he was 12 years older. Yeah. Okay, so that's eight years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Eight years different. Okay. But his appearance doesn't show at all. But but it seems like that's not your concern. Now, the thing is, I'll, I'll also stop you because it's hard to hear you, so I might, unfortunately, might have to be a little bit different how we handle the call because I... 
Uh, I don't know if everyone can even understand what you are saying because I can barely make it out. But you said you've been year, dating for a year and two months. Uh, you met him online yeah. dating. He's Canadian. And when you yeah. met him, I think so, you said he, um, basically his age is eight years more than what he told you initially or what you yeah. thought it was. Now, um, yeah. this does happen a lot. Uh, it's actually, as you were talking, I think it's kind of funny. People, they lie about their age and they also use old pictures. So maybe in a way they're saying, I'm as, this is my age in the picture that you're looking at, which isn't what I look like anymore. And I'm not that age anymore. Unfortunately, people yeah. do that a lot. Um, and I don't know, for eight years to say his age just stayed the same it's a little bit fishy because, I mean, maybe he's been on this app for eight years. A lot of dating apps haven't been around eight years. And that he wasn't aware of this somehow. It's kind of like playing stupid. I had no idea that my you know, profile said I was 44 when, in fact, I'm 52 or maybe it was 43 when he was 51 if you met him a year ago. So it's a little bit fishy, but it's going to be up to you. I mean, you've been with him a year and two months to, to ask yourself, first of all, like, how do you feel about this in general? But then... Does this affect how you feel when it comes to trusting him in, in general about taking yeah, his work? Have a very, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, our relationship is very good, and uh, I know he loves me a lot, and he really is taking care of me very well uh, financially a lot. And also, he takes care of me a lot. He's, I'm sure he's not with anyone else, and every day we are together. He takes me everywhere I want to go. And he has a very good relationship with my son, and my son loves him a lot. And uh, he said when I, because for a year I knew his age, but I didn't tell him anything. I was thinking he said something, but he didn't, he never said that. After a year, about a month ago, he uh, lied to me for the first time. I uh, cut him that he lied to me. Told me he was going somewhere to see two guys to make a new contract, and um, then I found out they went to a. It was a birthday party of one of his co-workers, and he had invited him there, but he was alone. No woman was with him, but they were drinking at the restaurant. And because from the beginning I had told him I don't like drinking and smoking, so he said. He was a co-worker, and I couldn't say no to him because he helps me a lot, and he, he brings lots of clients for me. And when he told me they were going to that restaurant, and they were going to drink beer and wine and things like that, and I wanted to say no, he got offended. Why, you even for one night on my birthday party, you cannot come, so he decided to lie to me and told me he's going to see two other people who are flying tomorrow to Toronto, so he had to see them. To make a new contract, mm -hmm. for the big money. Yeah, like no, that. I got and it. Then... So again, I'm because of the sound. So as far you're saying, you caught him in this lie where he said um, he was going to do some kind of income tax type of thing, but actually he went to a birthday party. Then he explained to you because there was going to be drinking there, and he got pressured by his friend. Yeah, he said only because of drinking he didn't want to yeah. tell me. So yeah. this, yeah. Did. So there's the trust issue, and then there's also this issue of accepting him. Um, so if he wants to drink and smoke sometimes, you guys have to figure out how to make that work because we can't say, well, if you don't like it, then I'm going to lie to you to hide it. It's not going to be a good formula for your guys' relationship. You have to be able to... And we are every day together. He doesn't drink at all. I know, but, hold, but, yeah, but, maybe, all. but maybe he wants to drink, but he doesn't do it because of you. And that wouldn't be good. Yeah. 
I talked to him about it, and a couple of times we have gone to Cactus Club or Boston Pizza or something. Maybe during the year, maybe I can say four or five times we went, and I yeah, drank beer with him. Okay. I said, I have no problem. Why did you lie to me? You, he said, I really wanted to take you with me, but I was not sure about people who were there. Maybe even some of them used drugs at the restaurant. I am so sensitive about the smell of the drug. That's why he said I decided not to tell you that. Okay. All. So but, do you think it's a big issue where I have to, I can ignore it? Well, I don't think you could ignore it. They're not mutually exclusive. I don't think you should ignore it because there's some bigger issues between you and him if he feels like he can't be himself or he can't be around his friends. He might, it seems like he feels like you're judgmental about these things. And so yes. I don't think it was right for him to lie to you. That's not going to be the right way to go. But as you know, we have to look at if someone is lying to us, are we making it hard for them to tell us the truth? Now, he could just be someone who's going to be dishonest. And so I'm not saying you're responsible for his lies, but we have to look at from our side, can he tell us something? And so it seems like he's saying, at least in this case, he couldn't tell you the truth or he felt he couldn't tell you, not that he really couldn't. And so that's what happened. So you and him have to talk about these issues. One is when it comes to that, going back to your first issue, are you really over one, the actual age difference, it being 12 years rather than four years? Are you okay with that? Yeah. And then related to that, and it, it might be even more important, the fact that you felt like he was lying. Now, a lot of people do this. I'm not saying that makes it okay, but their profiles might be... Um, a little bit like a resume where it's making them look like a better version of themselves. So the pictures might not be new or might be Photoshopped and then the age uh, might not yeah. be accurate. I actually really am against this. I think people should put their real age and put pictures of what you look like so people know when you're on a dating website, that's what they're going to meet. But, you know, this does happen. So you have to ask yourself, am I really over that? Have I accepted it? Because it's been a year and two months and you're still... Um, it seems like dealing with that and you haven't let that go. And is it really you haven't let it go or you want to be able to use that against him? I'm not sure. But then this other issue where it's about he, he thinks you're judgmental. He didn't say that. I'm kind of giving those words. He thinks you're judgmental about the drinking. And I know you're saying, oh, he doesn't. Yeah, but even yeah. the way you say it is like, no, no, but I've done it with him. But I don't know if he wants to do it much more than he does with you. And so he might just be doing that to make you feel like, okay, this is okay. But maybe that's why he just, he felt like, oh, I just want to drink one night and I can't do it with her. So I'm going to go out and do it without her and makes it seem like he had no other choice. So maybe he wants to drink more than he does. And you have to see if mm -hmm. you're okay with that, but you have to give him that space to say, maybe he mm -hmm. does want to drink more or he does feel like you judge his behaviors or would judge his friends. And so he doesn't know what to do when those two worlds collide, where it's his friends or if he wants to drink, what does he do in that situation? And, and then he feels kind of stuck. Yeah, he always uh, mentioned during the time that we have been together, he always mentioned, I'm so happy you don't drink, something else, drink a lot. And yet, I think he must have still friends who did a lot. So he always reminded me that he's so happy. Well, and maybe, and maybe it's okay, but on one hand, a lot of times the things that we like about someone, there's other sides. So he might like that you don't drink, that, you know, there's things about that he likes, but then maybe at uh, other times he wishes you would drink too, so it bothers him. So sometimes we like someone um, 
who's very, let's say, spontaneous and fun, but then we get annoyed that they're so unstable. So it could be that there's two sides of the same coin. He likes that you don't drink, and maybe he's had girlfriends before that drank way too much, so he thought, oh, it's so nice to be with a girlfriend who doesn't drink at all, but then sometimes it might frustrate him too that you don't drink at all or you don't want to or you look at it so negatively. And so he feels bad about that too. So what I'm saying is I think you guys need to have a more open discussion about these topics. The first one about his age, maybe you need to talk to him, but you might have to think about it yourself. Have you accepted it? And do you feel like... He talks about all of this, Doctor. I talked about his age uh, one day after he told me this lie. No, I know, but it seems like you're still not over it if you're bringing it up. Uh, no, I just called him. I told you, you say, oh, no, it's a big lie and you have to break up with him. I just wanted to know your opinion. No, I mean, I don't, I mean, I it could be. You, oh, you wanted to see if I would say break up with him because it's such a big lie? I mean, I don't think it's a good <laughs> thing. I don't like it. And, you know, I think the, the also it seems like he was lying about the lie that it, it got stuck. And I think there, sometimes you put your birth, birth date so it changes your age as you get older. Uh, sometimes maybe you enter it yourself. But eight years to me seems like a little bit, um, I don't think that was just, oh, the website. You he know. said he wanted to, he, he, what he says, he said that uh, he wanted to tell me, but because he really loved me when he saw me, he, he had the fear that I might leave him. Right. And this so is, said, and this is what people do, which is what it's like, okay, because I like you, I don't want to lose yeah. you. But if you want, you want to make sure someone likes you, you know, did you like him and you liked him with the age he actually was, it would have been better if he told you that than something else. So it's, oh, I, I lied to you because I loved you. Or I lied to you to get you. It's not good. People do it, but it's not good because you're basically trying to sell something in a way, you know? So if he loved you and I get it now, it's too late, but his excuse that, it, you know, the it, it seems like he's even saying it wasn't, the excuse wasn't true about um, it got yeah. stuck. Yeah. So, I mean, that, you know, there's yes, something there, you know, I'm not saying that means he's a liar and he's always going to lie, but you have to ask yourself, does that, did that affect your trust of him? And then now with this lie, that wasn't also the lie itself wasn't good. And like, I, I wanted to make it clear as much as I'm saying, you have to think about how open he can be with you. It doesn't justify that he should lie to you about where he's going. He still should face you and say, look, this is what I want to do. And maybe you don't like it, but you guys have to talk about it. But lying about it is not the right way to deal with it. But now that it's happened, you guys have to, one, you have to look at how do you feel about the trust in general and all those things. But as I said, I think the drinking and this whole, maybe you guys have very different lifestyles is something you guys have to talk about. And even if he tells you, I like that you don't drink, I like that you don't drink, I want you to come from it of approach of, okay, but is there something you don't like about it? Give him that space to tell you what he might not like rather than just try to make you feel happy or feel good about it. Yeah. Yeah. So good he luck. has promised me many times for me that day that I, we had an argument and he promised me I will never ever lie to you again. He I'll promised you He promised you what? That he would never lie again. Yeah. And he apologized a lot. But I don't know if I have to uh, completely 100% believe him or I have to utter other things. Well, you won't, you won't 100%. I, I know you said 100%, but you know, you know, probably you won't 100%. But you have to see, can I go forward with him or is it already too much? And then even when you do, you have to see how he, you know, what he does going forward. You know, only you can say if you feel like you can trust him or not. I can't tell you that yes. you should trust him. I don't know him and I also don't know how you feel. So if you feel like because of this, now I don't trust him when he says he's going to work. I 
want, I, I have this feeling in my stomach that he's going somewhere else and I want to check. And even, yeah. you know, when someone does lie, you know, we talk about this with affairs, but this is in a smaller scale. Usually afterwards, yeah, you need to, but no, usually, yeah, afterwards you need to be more transparent. So he might have to show you more where he is or to give you a good feeling so you don't feel like he's lying to you about it. If that's still some yeah. issue for you. Yeah. He has suggested me to put a tracker in his phone so he can track me anywhere I go, but I don't like doing that. I think this kind of relationship is not beautiful to have uh, to track well, someone. But no, it's not good. To, but uh, you might, you know, if you need it for a short term, I don't think it's like the. It's like you're right. It's not ideal to have that in a relationship. But sometimes you might need that for uh, a short amount of for time. A while. Yeah, you might to build the trust, you know, trust is something it's not a black and white thing. Like you even asked me, should I trust him 100%? Usually when trust gets hurt, sometimes it's too much the damage. But sometimes even if you're rebuilding it, always it's going to be piece by piece. It's not something that it's going to go back to where it was before all of a sudden because you say I forgive you, you know, it's going to be a process. So if you need that, it's okay for a while. Don't think that you shouldn't do that. But I think this, it wasn't, I'm not going to say this was a good thing, but it's happened. And now that it is, you can look at it as kind of a wake up call that we need to talk about our relationship more. Does he feel okay about certain things? Are there differences between you guys that are creating these types of tension that he's holding on to those types of things I think will be good for you guys to talk about. I do, I'm way over the commercial break, so I do have to stop now. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. It's nice, okay. nice talking to you. Thanks for your call. Thank you, doctor. Have a good Thank day. Thank you for your time. Sure, my pleasure. Bye bye. All right, let's go to another commercial break. We'll be back. Welcome back. In the previous segment, it was a little bit hard uh, to hear the caller, but one of the things she brought up, um, I wanted to talk about now, was about dating, online dating, also, but dating in general and how people can be misleading at the beginning about who they are in different ways and the consequences that we then uh, pay ourselves and in the relationships that we create. So um, a very common thing you'll see in online dating especially is people lying about their age and also the pictures they're putting on not really being what they look like either now or photoshopped um, but doing different things to present themselves in a better light. Now, in a way, we could understand it. You're putting yourself on a market. Now, people don't like that, and I actually don't like it. Um, my One of my favorite thinkers uh, of the last century was Eric Fromm, and he would talk about how we commoditize people and our personalities and become these packages, so I don't like that uh, idea of thinking of it in that way. But there is, of course, when we're doing online dating, we're trying to present ourselves to others in a very brief moment, uh, maybe a picture and a, f- a few pictures or a picture and a few words or sentences about us. And so we don't have a lot of time to make that impression. And so it's like an advertisement for ourselves. We want to put our best foot forward so to speak, but people don't just put their best foot forward. It's like they're putting someone else's foot forward. It's not even them, or it's not really what they look like now or who they are now. And so, uh, as I joked with the last caller, sometimes they put a picture that's from many years ago. And then, so they also write an age that's from many years ago when that picture was taken, but that's not what they look like now. And that's not what their age is now. This of course is more in, in populations where people want to appear younger. The reverse can happen maybe in much younger, um, people who want to seem older potentially maybe a man might want to appear older 
but usually it goes the other way where people are trying to look younger, especially an older uh, generation or older people, which actually I think is great that people are putting themselves out there. Uh, online dating is not something that's limited to one age group or anyone. And so that's okay to be on there. But we do want to be aware of what we're doing when we present ourselves as someone we are not. Yes, we're going to try to put our best foot forward. It, may, it makes sense. I'm not saying put an ugly picture of yourself up and write the bad things about you on your profile, but be yourself and recognize that what we want is for someone to like and then love you, who you actually are, not some made-up version of yourself. And so this is something we see happening in different ways, not just in how we write our online profiles, um, but how we interact with people in general and in dating life and how we know we're all wearing masks. And so to think that we're going to completely have nothing in between us and the people that we meet or that we're going to completely be 100% genuine. I don't know if anyone has 100% known themselves to do that, but we want to move towards being as open and real as we can be about who we are from the beginning. And the reason why we wear a mask is because we think we're not good enough. The reason why uh, someone would pretend like there's something or someone else is because they feel like who they are is not enough. And so they have to act like someone else to be enough, to be loved. Uh, so deep down, there could be some reasons why people do this. They might feel unlovable or unattractive as they are. And so they, we think we have to be something else. So that's a deeper thing to look at for yourself. How do you feel about yourself? Do you feel lovable? Do you feel like someone would want to be with you? Um, hopefully that answer is yes. And then you could recognize how much an, a negative effect it has by not being who you are. And so when we think about just the demographic things that come up like age, um, this comes up a lot. Uh, so many people have this issue. They said they were this old, but it turns out they were this old actually. Um, or about other things that people say, oh, they, I didn't say that I was married before because I thought it might turn them off. Or I didn't say I had a kid because I thought this. And, you know, so there's all these things that people lie and hide to make someone like us. And that's the problem when we're trying to make it a thing, to, to make someone like a trick, like a game. And I know people look at dating oftentimes that it's a game. I heard it last night with some friends that it's all a game. And I know how people think of it that way. That's not my mindset. I think people can think you're being optimistic to think of it that way, but I don't think it's true. Yes, there's um, ways that we won't have to share everything up front. It takes time to be even more open. That makes sense. That's a part of uh, getting to know each other in a healthy way is that you don't just sh show everything you are the first moment because that takes time to show deeper parts of yourself, more personal parts, things from your past, things from what you've gone through, even your own insecurities and things. You don't need to bring those up right at the beginning. So I'm not suggesting that, but lying is something different. And so I've seen this happen before, and it could be what uh, the previous caller was feeling as well, is that at times at the beginning, people think, well, these lies don't matter even, or I'm just saying things or, you know, uh, you know, it could be about age or it could be okay. You tell someone it's similar to in a different way to what the caller was talking about. But okay, I'm going on another date, but I don't want him to know. So I'll say I'm going to my cousin's birthday if he asks just, you know, to, to give that or I'll pretend like this person I'm with is, you know, family member or whatever, some little we think lies. But unfortunately, what happens is those lies usually come out. So if you lied about your age, of course, hopefully it does come out. But even some of these things about who you were with or what you were doing come out. And people 
uh, find these things out. And oftentimes it's very shocking. And for you, who is the one who lied about it, you're kind of over it because now you've moved on and you're moving forward. But for them, when they find out, it can definitely affect their trust for you. It could be shattering some of what they feel, that comfort they feel, that they believe that you'll tell them the truth and be honest with them, that you lied about certain things about yourself or about what was happening. So my suggestion is always um, to, to be honest about things, of course, and I know it's easier said than done at times for some people, but I hope you really recognize that you want to be with someone that sees you and loves you for who you are. So to be honest about who you are and don't downplay the significance of lying to your partner or this person now you're going on a few dates with that might become a partner because that could affect your trust and your relationship with that person. And I think what's better is if you don't want to answer something, say that rather than lie. So if someone says some question that you think is too personal, you can let them know, you know, right now I think it's too soon to talk about that. I'm okay. I think later on we might talk about this topic or whatever it might be, but I'd rather not get into it or I think it's too soon. That to me is a much better response than making up a lie that might later on, first of all, it's just lying and you won't feel good in it could affect how you talk to this person in general, but it could have come out later and affect your trust with that person. So not answering is okay. And we're allowed to do that. People sometimes ask a question that's too personal. They ask you, oh, well, why did your parents get, uh, you know, move from this place to this place? And it's something you don't want to talk about. And so you can say, I don't want to talk about it. Or, oh, what made you drop out of school? And, you know, something happened and it's a little bit too early for you to talk about that. So you, you don't want to mention it. That's okay. And you can say, and, you know, of course, yeah, there's a feeling that it might tell them it was something bad or something really bad that you don't want to talk about it, but you're just letting them know that's a little bit personal. I, I don't usually don't tell people until I really get to know them. Um, maybe if we, we keep dating that that'll come up, but right now I don't want to talk about that yet rather than making up a lie about something. You don't owe them an answer. I, I think that's true, but I think to lie will just cause more negative things for yourself and for them in the relationship going forward. So try to be honest. And you know, I, this, this show, I know most of the people listening are still Iranian, even though some are not. Um, but I see it so much in all cultures, but especially in the Iranian culture, that lying is almost an expected part of dating, that you shouldn't be open and honest. You shouldn't be telling the truth. Even you're being kind of uh, sade or simple and in a way stupid by telling the truth about things and you're supposed to lie. And I think it's very unfortunate that we think of it that way. You know, it's a very uh, heightened version of the game where you have to really be tricking and thinking and it's always like a game of chess rather than two people getting to know each other, which I think is unfortunate because the consequences you face uh, in the relationships when you do things like that are, are very costly and they cost you and they cost um, your partner and you together in the long run. So just something to keep in mind when we're meeting people, when you're doing online dating, it might seem nice. Oh, it's online. I can put them as old as I want because you can just enter it. But keep in mind the consequences of when you eventually start to date someone and what's going to happen then. And don't just try to trick someone into liking you. Recognize you're good enough for someone to love you for who you are and you want to be with someone that loves you for who you are. Let's go into our last commercial break. After the break, I'll talk about uh, continuation on this theme about loving yourself and realizing you're good enough. Uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back. So in the previous segment, I was talking about dating and how important it is for us to be upfront and open and honest and 
especially not lie early on because that's going to affect the relationship. Even it starts to become our habit or becomes a culture of a relationship that lying is just something you do or we do in the relationship. And you don't definitely don't want that. You can't really have a good relationship. Um, but I also mentioned how the reason why we lie, there's many of them. Sometimes we think we have to, and that's part of the game and it's like a market. And of course you want to get the best value for whatever you can. Um, but there's also the part where we at times feel that who we are, what we are is not enough or is not lovable. And so this doesn't extend just to romantic relationships and trying to attract and find a partner, um, but how we feel in general about life. Uh, when you're in the field I am and when you get to see clients, something that you really cherish is people letting you into their inner world and what they're feeling and what they're going through. Um, but you're also very, I could say not surprised because you see it so much and you understand it, but you see how much people don't love themselves as much as you wish they would, or you really know they deserve to, or feel good about themselves. Uh, so they, they'll come in and the things they feel bad about themselves or unfortunately even somebody's deeper than that, something feels wrong with them, unlovable, defective, something from what they got in their childhood gave them that message and it's so hard for them to get past that. Um, but you see how much people are suffering in this way of feeling not good enough, that who I am is not good. So I have to show something else because if I show me that's not enough or that's not lovable or that's embarrassing or shameful. So I have to be someone else in order to get what I want. Um, but unfortunately it's a very sad feeling that always you'll feel like even if they don't like you, you still feel bad. And then if they do like you, that might feel temporarily good, but you'll still feel like, well, they don't know the real me. If they did, they wouldn't like me. So they're liking this mask or this pretend version of me, but they don't really love who I am. So you don't feel very good. And this, in a way, is itself a type of fear of intimacy or related to the fear of intimacy, that if you see who I really am, you won't like it, you won't love it. So I can't let you see who I really am. So I'll either keep a distance and not let myself get close to anyone, or when people do get close, show them a mask. So they're not really getting close to me but they might be getting closer and spending time with me, but I still won't show them uh, who I am. And so related to this, I think of this uh, story because I really think that we are, in the book actually that I'm uh, reading this week, How to Be Yourself by Ellen Hendricks, and she already mentioned some of the things on this theme of you're already enough. You, you're, you're enough as you are and you're good enough. And I know to people, sometimes this sounds very new agey and uh, even they might not like it because they think it's saying, oh, like, doesn't matter who you are, that's perfect or whatever you did, that's good. And that's not what this means. It means that you are enough in who you are. Now, of course, now what you do is important. If you do good things and are kind and work hard in the right ways, that's good. And if you hurt people and don't do anything, that's not going to be good. So we're not saying everything you do is equal and it doesn't matter and you're just perfect in every action you take, but that we all are enough in who we are. We are lovable. You are good enough. You don't need to be something or someone else to be lovable. And it reminds me of the story that um, I haven't made up the story, uh, but it's in a way sometimes combined with some other things in the way I say it, but about this young man who uh, one day after his grandfather's passed away, they give him this statue. 
and he looks very old and messed up and he doesn't really like it. And like, oh, here's this statue and he doesn't know what to do with it. But then he has this idea, you know, if I put a bunch of gold paint or a gold type of a plating on it, people will think it's this golden statue. So he kind of puts uh, this fake gold stuff on the outside of it and makes it try to make it as shiny as he can. And he puts it in front of his house or right inside his house. So when people come over, like, wow, you have this amazing statue. It's incredible. And he, you know, he likes that attention temporarily. It feels good. People give him so much attention about, about that. And, you know, he, he feels good about it, but then he knows, yeah, I know that deep down inside, it's not worth that much. Uh, they just think it's this golden thing. It's this amazing thing, but it's actually not really much of a statue. In essence, I know the true value of this. And so this is similar how we think about ourselves. So, you know, he has it for a while, then one day it falls over. And as it falls over, um, all the, some of the pieces he'd put on there come off. And then he sees underneath this white, the stuff that he saw that it was made out of. And so he goes and he rubs it a little bit and he starts to rub off it and realizes it's kind of some kind of paint or something that accumulated over time on this. And as he polishes more and more, he sees that underneath what he thought was what the statue actually was, this white kind of mask of a thing, is solid gold. And he rubs it all off and sees this whole statue is actually made of solid gold. It's a golden statue at its core and he didn't realize he had this wonderful beautiful priceless amazing thing this whole time because he thought it was not good enough and he actually put this mask on it to make it seem good enough but now he's seeing deep down it was actually more valuable than whatever he could try to put on the outside and so there's not much of a a stretch to make the analogy there, but I hope you can see that that's the same thing we do. We put on these masks. Okay, I'm going to act this way. I'm going to be more that way or I have to hide these parts of who I am because they're not good and I'm going to be like this or like that. And people sometimes will respond positively to it or maybe often will respond positively. We think, I'll oh, see how good that mask is that I've put for other people to see. And this is the only way I can get love and attention because if they saw who I truly was, they, they wouldn't love that. That's not beautiful. That's not worth anything. But really, if we were to go deep down into the gifts we have, into our genuine character, into being who we are when we are being ourselves and being alive and spontaneous and energetic and tapped into who all of that is, we would really see that it's something much more beautiful than any mask you can try to put on yourself, anyone you could try to pretend to be. The genuine version of you is better than any fake version of someone else you'll try to act to be. The real you is something beautiful, is something good, is something lovable. Most of us are afraid to even see it ourselves, let alone to show it to other people. But when you see this, whether it's your own experience of getting more in touch with who you are, or you see others, you see how beautiful it is when they show you who they truly are. Even great artists, musicians, painters, whoever they might be, the ones that we usually connect with are the ones that we feel are very genuine or expressing something from deep within themselves. They don't sound good by trying to sound like other famous singers. They sound good when they're singing 
themselves. I'm not sure if it was Miles Davis and, and Dave Chappelle was talking about this in his recent acceptance of the Mark Twain Award, but was saying that it he, he was saying that it took him decades or long time years to play like Miles Davis, to play like himself, to find that voice and to really let that shine. I've even experienced that myself on this show going on six years of doing it that um, I think I've improved in different ways, but not just because of gaining skills, but more and more letting myself come out or being myself more. And so the more we see of ourselves or others see of us when it's that genuine part of us, they will love us. And especially most importantly, the ones that really love us because they see who we are will give us that love and acceptance that we're looking for. And then it'll feel even more meaningful and deep because we know it's a genuine love for who we genuinely are, which is a very beautiful thing. And I know it sounds very cliche to say who you are deep down is beautiful and everyone is amazing and great. But really, I believe that, that deep down, who we are is much more beautiful than anything we could try to pretend to be, to try to act like we are. And so first we have to recognize that ourselves, to love ourselves and our genuine selves and trust that what we see in there is lovable and good and love that ourselves and then put that out there in the world and let others love it too. That brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you to all the callers and the listeners and to Ghazala here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Jalakwi. Have a wonderful day.